Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 732 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, we'll be speaking with David. He's had type 1 diabetes for quite some time, and he enjoys jumping out of airplanes. So, obviously, there's a lot to talk about here. While we're talking, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, I wish you would go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox, join the registry, and take the survey. The whole thing should take fewer than 10 minutes, and once you complete the survey, you've done something kind for people with type 1 diabetes. You've done a, a, a favor to me, and uh, you've done something that might help yourself. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Well worth your 10 minutes. Today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod 5. Learn more and get started today at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored today by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitoring System. Find out if you're eligible for a free 10-day trial at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Hey, Scott, my name's Dave. Let's see, I'm 41 this year, going to be 42 very soon in March, and I am a skydiver and a diabetic. All right, now we're on to it. How do you find, uh, how do you end up being on the podcast? One of my friends whom I skydive with has a, uh, her wife was on your podcast. She's diabetic. Um, and so we got talking about things. She says, oh, my friend has a podcast. Uh, you should really check it out. So I, uh, found you through her and uh here i am no oh, that's cool yeah we were looking for i was looking for we dave i just said i just said we <laughs> like there's a big operation going on over here <laughs> it's just me uh but um but yeah i was just trying to find people who do things you know they're a little more exciting uh outside the norm a little bit and i think uh flinging yourself out of an airplane qualifies uh completely <laughs> so um well tell me first you know, how old were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, so a funny story. I was actually diagnosed, uh, at midnight on my 12th birthday. Um, my mother was luckily a pediatrician. Um, so she kind of caught all the signs and, uh, the, the kicker, the final end breaking point was that I slammed three, two liter bottles of water within five minutes. And she's like, you know what? I think I'm going to take you to the ER right now. So we went down and, uh, they checked me in and I got my diagnosis right at uh, midnight on my birthday when I was 12. Any other stuff going on or did the three bottles of water just like send your mom into overdrive? No, the, the three bottles of water and, you know, constant urination, of course. Um, and, uh, and I, I was a skinny guy to begin with. So I wasn't putting on weight, you know, right around adolescence, you're supposed to start packing weight on and changing. I was not doing any of that stuff. I was still a skinny, tiny little boy. I think I weighed 50 pounds. Wow. Um, so something was kind of up. So, um, they took me in, checked me out and my blood sugar was 
astronomically high. It was the highest the hospital had ever seen. I think I clocked in around 1,200. That's pretty high. Maybe maybe 2,200, something like that. It was ridiculous. Wow. Did they sing happy birthday to you in the ER? Yeah, ironically, they did. Yes. (laughs) See, what I did there, Dave, you didn't see it, but I put myself in the minds of adults (laughs) who are trying to (laughs) imagine what kids want. And that's what I came up with. Um, I would not have done that if I worked in the ER for you, by the way. I would have I would have pulled you aside and said, hey, Dave, uh, well, this sucks, huh? <laughs> Just, yeah, 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 pretty much. I did get a lot of that. I did yeah. get a lot of that. Oh, my gosh. So uh, unexpected, meaning is it in the family? No, not at all. So my mother experiences um, some hypoglycemia every once in a while. But um, she just attributed that to diet. Um, nobody else in the family history had diabetes ever. Uh, we, and we went back generations. Uh, my, my uncle, thankfully, keeps all kinds of history on the family and everything. And hmm. It was pretty wild that it just popped up. Did you find any autoimmune aside from diabetes, uh, uh, hypothyroidism, celiac, anything like that? No. No. Wow, Dave. Like about rolling unlucky. Dave. I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah, look at you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Living big winner, <laughs> big winner. Um, that sucks. How was it growing up? I mean, you're, uh, I didn't do the math, but you've had diabetes like 29 years. Is that right? Yeah, for real. Wow. Um, so it was very difficult. Um, yeah. the, my, my life was just compounded. It was crazy. Uh, so the year before, uh, I lost my older brother who was, he and I were very, very close to each other. Um, and he passed away unexpectedly. So I was dealing with that. And then we got diabetes the very next year on top of that. And, uh, that kind of sent me spiraling down a rabbit hole. Um, and then the very next year I lost my grandfather. Uh, so 11 through, uh, 13 was not my jam. Uh, I turned quickly to, uh, drugs and alcohol to relieve the stress of things. And, uh, again, abandoned my diabetes for the most part, you know, I, took insulin because I had to, but I wasn't keeping track. I was running three, four hundreds all the time. My A1C was around 11 Okay. for most of my teenage years. Um, and I, uh, f- finally got serious with it and buckled down. Like I, w- to put things in perspective, technology had come so far, but I was still using the old, uh, one touch meters with the very large test strips. And you had to put like a gallon of blood on them, mm-hmm. even up to 2004 or five. No, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, it was a, you just didn't, I was in a very bad place. Yeah. It sounds so I don't want to do, I'm not going to ask you to dig deep, but your brother, um, medical or something else. No, something else. Okay. Um, it was just unexpected. And it was like, wow, right. so that's crazy. And you're, you, and have, then it, so it took a lot to unpack that all. And then I, I didn't really have time to unpack it or the proper guidance or, um, net support network to do that. Um, and then, on top of it, I had diabetes to deal with too. So I can only deal with one thing at a time, you know, and diabetes was not it. Yeah. I hear you. Did you have other brothers and sisters? I did. I had an older brother, uh, but he's much older. He was 10 years older than me. So we didn't really share any commonalities. Gotcha. So that, you know, made it even more difficult. David, your parents together? Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mom and dad were together. Um, not the best relationship, but not the worst for sure. But then, um, in my, when I was, I wasn't even out of high school yet, and uh, my father took a massive, he had an aneurysm, took a massive stroke, and so he was basically a vegetable for a very long time, for at least 10 years after that. Okay. So I had to deal with that, and I, it 
life just piles it on, you know, when it rains and pours. Dave, I like how you think you were coming on here to talk about skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll get, nope. we'll get to it, Dave, but, you know. Well, well listen, it, this all leads to it, for sure. Oh, I'm already seeing the path in my head. But uh, yep. assuming you were trying to kill yourself at some point, and um, <laughs> but but okay, so uh, I, I when did the drug use start? How how old? I think I was sixteen or so, and a lot of it was uh, just it, it's really funny because high, high school started. I started smoking, trying to mess around cigarettes when I was like thirteen, fourteen, but it really wasn't my thing. And uh, then high school started, and I was in a car with a friend and riding home from school i was going over to his house to hang out and his brother-in-law sparked up a joint in the front seat i was like oh my gosh the driver's on drugs he's smoking drugs and i'm like waiting for it to get to me i'm like it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and they pass me a joint and they're like dave you want something like oh no thank you as cool as i could possibly sound and uh like oh okay thanks you know whatever it was obviously not a big deal but i i built it up in my head so much i was like oh my gosh so then being exposed to it and realizing hey this isn't the big deal my elementary school teachers made it out to be you know maybe i'll check it out and so i had no idea what to do so i found my nearest neighborhood drug dealer and said hey can i get some weed and the guy's like sure how much do you want and uh i'm like i don't know i've never bought and he's like this is your first time and he was so thrilled about it he's like oh my gosh it's great here don't even worry about it. you don't have to pay for it here just uh and he gave me i think an eighth of weed and uh no idea what to do so i just smoked it all one day after work and man it was a lot for a 16 year old to handle an entire eighth by himself the first time and i was just out of my mind which was such welcomed relief like i couldn't tell you between work and then since my father was uh took a stroke my mother couldn't handle it all so she retired from being a doctor early she quit like just up and quit one day so we had no money i was working two or three jobs trying to you know, help give my money to my family so we can live our lives and supporting my mother and my father and uh, doing uh, adult uh, care for him. Uh, it, it was uh, it was a lot. And it was just a door to step out on the side one day and take a breath. Just nice, fresh air of nothing yeah. to relax. And uh, it was very, very medicating. Well, your mom worked, walked away from uh, like a, a up and quit. A, yeah, a, uh, my I got diabetes. Then my brother passed away. I got diabetes. And then my father took us right before my father took a stroke, maybe like a month before he did. She, she just, she's like, I can't do this anymore. She was, she was just getting slammed and taken advantage of by her hospital. Uh, just very outright. And mm-hmm. uh, she's just like, I'm not doing it anymore. And she had enough dealing with everything else. So that was her breaking point. Wow. That's insane. Um, yep. It's, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's hitting me kind of hard how quickly, it, it turned on you because it escalates quickly. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that five minutes before your brother, you lose your brother. You're a, uh, you're, you're three people. Listen, I was the happiest kid ever. Yeah. Right. Your mom's a doctor and everything's good. And here we go. And just like that, man. Wow. Just like that. No kidding. All right. Well, so I imagine when you were diagnosed, they gave you, I mean, 29 years ago is regular and NPH or Lente or something like that. Where were you? Yeah. They gave me regular and NPH. Um, the huge needles uh and i took the shots very well like the nurse was like here you know practice on orange and you can practice on me and so i did that she's like i think you're ready and i just i was so excited thankfully about taking a shot i was like this is so cool so i just jammed it in my leg like like a stabbing a knife you know and just did it and i was, I was fine with it it didn't matter 
And, uh, and plus, you know, being around my mother, she's around the hospital the whole time, the environment, I was very used to the medical environment. So yeah. it was, it wasn't a huge step for me, but, um, what about, um, yeah. so management back then just was sort of, I mean, would you do shoot in the morning and in the end before dinner? No, uh, I just shot, um, before every, every meal you were giving yourself insulin before every meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the but regular- I wouldn't take correcting doses. Like if I had an apple or something between breakfast and lunch, I wouldn't cover for it. Okay. How, how did, I mean, I, I realized it's a completely different time in management, but how did you see your care back then? Like I imagine was your mom involved or did she, she tried of- to be, but she was a pediatrician, not an endocrinologist. Right. And so she started attending, um, conferences for diabetes and try to learn more about it. Cause she didn't really know much about it herself. I mean, right. Mm-hmm. Cause it wasn't her field. So, um, she, she did the best she could dealing with everything and trying to learn a whole new field of medicine, but, um, it, it was not sufficient at all. I mean, and then she tried sending me to, I, I lived in a very rural part of Pennsylvania, uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania. And, uh, the, we didn't have the best doctors there. So everybody was kind of guessing and shooting. I mean, they guess now and shoot around now, you know, mm. shoot from the hip, but it, it's come so much farther now. It's more accurate. But back then it was like, well, you got to take your shot, Dave, you know, like, well, let's try this amount, see how it works, you know? And, uh, and I wasn't really interested in anything. They, they, uh, testing was the key back then. They said, you know, test yourself as much as you possibly can. So you can know your sugars and correct and everything. I just, wasn't having that. I, right. I'd actually backlog my meter from, so when my mom came home from work, she would check it and, you know, and see the date and time that I checked myself all these times. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was playing hooky a lot with that kind of stuff. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? That while the management of diabetes has changed so drastically over, you know, 30 years, the, the doctor's understanding of current management the percentage of doctors has probably gone up a little bit, but it's not overwhelming. Like there's still, it, it really isn't now. Yeah. There's still a, a, I've had to, I'm sorry. I've had to, uh, fire many endocrinologists. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a weird road. We, at, um, did the drug use escalate or was it just weed? Not really. I mean, I, I kept myself in check cause I, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm very aware I'm using this medicinally. I, I'm not gonna, I mean, yeah, I get, wrecked at like every morning before high school so i could deal with the day but i mean it, it was never anything more than uh you know minor drugs and alcohol use were you managing i wasn't out there doing crack or anything no, no crack david not not no crack good for you look at you um everybody has to have their limit yeah by the way i'd just like to say here if you use crack and you have type 1 diabetes please email me i would love to have you on the show <laughs> um <laughs> So, and I'm not kidding, uh, <laughs> but, um, okay. So the, you, you manage in the, are you managing stress with the weed or are you overwhelmed? Yeah. How does it, how did it feel to not be high? I guess is the question. Uh, it was just awful, you know, cause I, I didn't have, it was like a nice constant massage. Every time I was high, I kind of felt, you know, relaxed. Okay. I could deal with this. I'm handling stuff. But, uh, other than that, I was up tense. I was, you know, worrying about so much stuff. My mind was scattered mm-hmm. when I wasn't medicating myself. And, uh, it, it was a tough time. And like you had to face reality. My brother's not here. I have a incurable disease. That's going to eventually potentially kill me. And, uh, my life is pretty much, uh, Felt bottom of the barrel right now. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and your blood sugars must have been high too. So oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I I think I was tested one fifty once, and I felt super low. Right. I was yeah. like, my blood sugar is low. I need something, and I tested myself with one fifty, and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> this is not good. Yeah, yeah. Just and well, it happens too. Like you know, it happens to people now. Um, it's going to happen to you if you if you've had significantly high blood sugars for a while. Your body gets accustomed to it, and then even a normal blood sugar could feel like you're 30 and right. Yeah. And that's a real feeling. It's like, just because your blood sugar is 150 and you're not in mortal danger, doesn't mean you're not dizzy or disoriented or whatever comes with it. Um, right. You know, that varies for, from person to person, of course, but that's, that's really crazy. So, wow. You just sound like you were all alone. Um, you get, I really was. Yeah. yeah. You get out of high school. Okay. Did you graduate? I did. Yeah. I went to a prep school. Uh, I graduated with a C I think. And, uh, I ended up going to college out of state, uh, in New Jersey. And, uh, I kind of, uh, re rethought things and stepped back a little bit and said, you know, I, I really need to get my stuff straight. So, uh, I, I did really good. My freshman year, I got a 3.98 and then GPA. And then I found my social circle and let it go. And my diabetes got the better of me. And I, started falling into old ways and my next semester was a a little bit less and then the semester after that was 0.98 gpa hmm. 0.98 it was just a awful time yeah so do you think uh, struggling a lot with financial you know situations and diabetes i remember I, I ran out of my uh regular insulin and uh just not not for any other reason and i think i was just getting lazy and not caring about it and giving it the right attention. And I didn't realize I was running out. So my mother would ship it from the house, to the pharmacy there. And, you know, we, we didn't even think to, Hey, why don't I get a doctor in your school? You know, like mm -hmm. my mind wasn't on that level where I was able to focus on things like that to make those judgment calls. And uh, so she would ship my insulin from Pennsylvania to New Jersey. And there was about a week I was living on just NPH timing it right and overlapping my doses just so i'd be able to eat lunch and until dinner arrived. and stuff like that with no regular at what age did you start using a uh, faster acting insulin 2000 uh like, was it around the time about when you upgraded your meter or was it prior to that no no i i think 2007 okay wow. i started using fast acting yeah because so i moved down to philadelphia <clears throat> in 2005 and uh for work and um i got tired of running home again like my mind just wasn't right so i was running back home to see my endocrinologist in northeastern pennsylvania two hours away instead of just going to a philadelphia doctor getting a philadelphia doctor who's worlds ahead of any of these people that i was seeing and uh getting everything straight and but one day i just had enough and i was like it clicked i was like why don't i just do this so i pulled the trigger i went down and i saw an endocrinologist and he wouldn't see me. It, it was a top rated doctor of Philadelphia endocrinologist. He was made number one list on some magazine, whatever. He wouldn't see me because I was not on a pump. He only saw pump patients, which kind of grinded my gears a little bit, mm -hmm. but, um, I'm sure my A1C didn't have anything to do with it either. But, um, so he pawned me off to his, uh, nurse head nurse or whatever to see me. And, uh, she, she was really on, she was sharp, man. She was so sharp. Uh, she was much better than any of the doctors in back home that I had seen. Okay. And, um, she, she walked me, she's like, Dave, this, this is trash insulin. You're just, you got to get rid of it. Use this stuff. She gave me 
bunch of free samples. She ordered me tons and tons of insulin saying I was taking like 70 units a day, like prescription wise. So I double up on my insulin and have backups and stuff. And she got me all straightened out with everything. And, uh, it, that's where I, I turned the page a little bit. 2007 um, but, in Philly. Yeah. 2007. Right. Okay. So then, um, I saw her and things started getting infinitely better, but then she noticed, you know, Hey, all, all my wicked ways are catching up to me. So I was spilling a lot of urine uh, protein out of my urine. She's like, you got to go see a kidney doctor, uh, go check, get checked out. So I found out I had, uh, only one kidney working roughly because of my terrible diabetes treatments. And, uh, so I got straightened out with the kidney doctor a little bit. Um, I got straightened out with my eye doctor. Uh, I had to get, uh, my eyes started going. So I got the, um, the laser treatments. I had to get injections of both eyes and that was in like 2008. And, uh, because my eyes, I was getting severe retinopathy, but uh, everything cleared up. They took care of it. I got my blood sugar straight, and uh, I have 2020 vision now. Except after hitting 40 something, I, uh, I, I, it seemed like it happened over the course of three days. I'm now farsighted. I don't know. It's <laughs> just old age stuff, you know. Nothing crazy, but it's still messing with me. Yeah, I can't believe I'm getting so old. Dave, my sight, so quickly. My sight was so perfect my entire life. I mean, like hues and contrast and depth and sharpness at any distance i just i saw like a laser right. and then one day i saw these like floating things i looked up in the sky my son and i were having a catch and i looked up into the sky and i could see it looked like things were floating across the sky and i of course <clears throat> i immediately panicked i went to my doctor and i was like i have eye cancer i don't know if that's a real thing or not but you, <laughs> you got to get in there and find out and he's like oh scott you have floaters he goes it's pretty normal for your age and i was like uh fix it and he's like, oh, we, we don't fix this. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just kind of learn to look through it and don't see it anymore. I, you know, and it's kind of right. died down over the years. But then suddenly the next thing that happened was like, I just, I couldn't see my phone in front of my face anymore. And I was just like, I can't, yeah. I can't focus on the, on the phone. And I had to get glasses for reading and just, it was, it's, I mean. It's a bummer how quick it happens. And, and you were, but, but, but you're dealing with all this other stuff. So tell me first. How did they treat your kidneys? So they, um, they wanted to do a, a, uh, they wanted to see, me. I was going to Jefferson university hospital. Mm -hmm. who's very respected in the community. And they're like, well, we need you to try out all these. So it, it's very convoluted the, the doctor they sent me to was just about to retire and move to Florida, like within like a couple months. So he's like, I'm not going to start you on treatments if you're not going to be my patient, he goes, here, take this. Like it was basically a diuretic that flushed out all the potassium out of my system. Cause my potassium was very, very high. Mm -hmm. He goes, uh, I'll put you on some pills and just slam this potassium three times a week. And you're going to poop your brains out essentially. Uh, and that's what, how I managed it for three months until the new doctor came in and said, you know, we need to get you on a statin. We need to put a water pill on you. We need to, mess around through dosing. And that was, uh, I think about a year long guessing game with treatment and dosage and pills and everything. And my ankles swelling up the size of softballs and figuring everything out. Um, messing around my diet, low sodium diet, no potassium, no bananas, potatoes, tomatoes. Uh, I'm Italian and you take that away from me. Like I cry, I cry about it daily, but, uh, we got it all figured out and, everything's been holding good. My 
kidney functions have actually increased from when I was checked in with it and diagnosed. So I have a little bit more than one kidney, um, but still pain in the ass. Okay. Do you think you'll ever have to do dialysis? Yeah, I, well, so as long as my, uh, I asked my doctor the same thing. He's, it, it's going to happen because you're going to get old and that's a road that you can't avoid because people when they're 70, 80 start having, showing the effects that you're showing right now I see. and they're, they're, they're perfectly healthy and they're eating right and everything. It just happens because you're old. So the best thing you can do is just keep your diabetes maintained and put that off as long as you can leave it to your body to deteriorate it on its own instead of helping it. I see. And that's what I've been doing. Um, but I was, uh, I, I pay attention to a lot of the research stuff coming out and they are doing a lot. The, the past presidential uh, administration, president Trump had his wife working on, uh, kidney disease was very near and dear to her heart. So she, she was putting a lot of efforts and, uh, uh, resources into developing research for that. And, uh, they made a lot of progress and my doctor at the time said, you know, I'll be very frank with you, David. Uh, the bright side of this is there's usually big developments in medicine every 10 years. They can bookmark it. So hang in there for another 10 years and we'll see what turns the page. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Wow. Man. Um, at what point did you, or have you, I guess, um, I mean, you said you met the nurse and she, she moved you up to more modern insulin. Were you able to bring your A1C down, get your blood sugars more? Stable? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I got, I got my A1C down from. Guess what friends? The Omnipod five automated delivery system is here. It's available. The Omnipod 5 is the only tubeless automated insulin delivery system that integrates with the Dexcom G6 CGM, and it uses smart adjust technology to automatically adjust your insulin delivery every five minutes, helping to protect against highs and lows without multiple daily injections. Omnipod 5 is currently cleared for people with type 1 diabetes ages 6 and older. Omnipod 5 has the option to control it from a compatible smartphone. And it's also available through your pharmacy, which means you can get started without the four-year durable medical equipment contract that comes with most insulin pumps, even if you're currently in warranty with another system. Well, that's awfully interesting, isn't it? To get started today with Omnipod 5, go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. For full safety and risk information, a list of compatible phones, as well as clinical trial claims data, go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And if you're not quite ready for automated insulin delivery, go check out the Omnipod Dash at the same link because you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Full safety, risk information, and free trial terms and conditions are also available at my link, omnipod.com forward slash juice box. My daughter Arden is out today. She hasn't been home for a number of hours, and I can see her blood sugars while she's not here. I'm able to do that because Arden is wearing the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitoring system. So right now, Arden has a little device on her. It's talking to her phone. Her phone is sharing her information, and my phone is receiving it. Actually, up to 10 people can share Arden's data if she wants. At the moment, I'm watching a small miss. Looks like she didn't pre-bolus quite enough for a meal. Her blood sugar went up. I'm seeing it being taken care of and I'm watching it come back down. None of this is stressful, 
because not only does the Dexcom G6 show me the number her blood sugar is, but it shows me the speed and direction that it's moving in with directional arrows. Between the arrows and the numbers and the graph, I feel very comfortable at the rate that Arden's blood sugar is coming back into range. Not only is this great for safety, but it's great for learning. We'll use this information to go back next time and make a better decision with insulin. You can get started today at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, and you may be eligible for a free 10-day trial of the G6. You can also find that out at my link. These are our results, and yours may vary, but looking into Dexcom is a no-brainer in my opinion. Let me just tell you the rest, and then we'll get right back to David. Here it is. It's super simple. Supporting the podcast can be done in a number of ways. You can share the show with someone else. Leave a great review where you listen. Subscribe or follow in a podcast app or other audio player. Or you can click on the links for the advertisers. There are links in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening in now. And if there's not, if your podcast player is like a weird one and it's not there, you can also go to juiceboxpodcast.com and click on my links. When you do that, you are supporting future production of the Juicebox podcast. Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Juiceboxpodcast.com. And don't forget to take that survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. I appreciate you checking out the ads. Now let me get you back to David. I got my A1C down from uh, nine at the time in 2007 to, I think I was like 7.5. Right. That's a big decrease. Yeah. She gave me a new meter to test, you know, all that stuff. Good pep talk that went a long way too. Mm -hmm. Um, What technology do you have right now? So I am up to date on pretty much everything. I don't have a pump though. I'm still MDI Mm -hmm. multiple daily injections. Um, Just, I just pumped out my thing. I've uh, looked it over and done my due diligence and it's just not for me. Um, but I have a Dexcom CGM um, and I have a, I forget what my meter is actually. I use it so infrequently. <laughs> well, but um, it, I calibrate my Dexcom with it and that's about it. <laughs> right. Is it a good, Is listen, as long as it's an accurate meter and you're calibrating. It is. Yeah, fine. for sure. What do you have the G5 or G6? Uh, G6. G6. Okay. Um, all right. So you have a CGM, your MDI, your A1C is in the sevens now? Uh, no, it's in the sixes. It's 6.3. That's wonderful. Congratulations. I I treated that a lot to my wife. Uh, I got married in 2013. She's like, listen, you're going to stick around for a while. If we're going to be building a family, you got to get your stuff together. It's like, all right. Deal. So she, I mean, so ironically in 2010, I met my wife and, uh, I was on a date, you know, I was like, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing drugs here. I'm a, I'm a diabetic. You know, I'm shooting my shot before uh, dinner. And she's like, oh, that's fine. My, my father's a diabetic. I'm like, really? So she, she was a uh, grandfathered into the whole situation already, which was made it super duper easy. And she's like, hey, take your shot. Did you take your long acting? You take your nighttime dose. Do you need tablets? Like stuff like that. She had tablets in her purse already, like for her dad. Like, so it was like, it was a nice transition. David, you're making me a little sad. I don't think you realize it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing your, um, I'm seeing your life like this. 
I'm seeing tragedy in your family. I'm assuming rocked you and your mother. Then another tragedy comes along. It hits you guys again. Put your mom in more stress. She's probably got to make a decision for her own sanity and for what's most um, emergent, which I assume is your dad's care. And then she quits her job. Um, and then your life gets, I mean, you talked about, interesting, you talked about prep school and high school, but money problems in college. So now I'm feeling. Well, like, I had money problems all my life. Oh, did you? How'd you get into, how'd you get into prep <laughs> oh, school yeah. with money problems? Uh, so my mother was a doctor the first year of prep. And then uh, then I worked three jobs through high school to maintain oh, the status God. of the school. Oh, geez. You should have dropped out. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> but then you meet this woman in 2010 and she's kind of all the things that i imagine that young david needed yeah a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent yeah you bummed me out man what are you doing yeah <laughs> the whole thing looked like a hallmark movie to me for a half a second i was like uh-oh right uh, i'm gonna cry i don't want to I, I don't even know you you don't even listen to the podcast don't cry, Scott. dude you don't even listen to the podcast <laughs> you don't even know me you'd be like what am i into here um <laughs> but that's uh i appreciate you sharing this i mean it's really i mean it can't be it just can't be said enough that your situation is more common than not. And I think that sometimes the people who are, have been listening to the podcast for a long time, who are doing great, probably think like, Oh, this is what everyone does. But it's listen, not, it's I'll not. tell you, if I could, if I got diagnosed today, my life would be easy street. I'd be like, Oh, okay. I have diabetes. No problem. My wife's there to support me. I have a support staff. I have the online community. Listen, back in 1998, online didn't really exist, especially for, impoverished david not at all who could barely afford lunch like yeah. so we have all these good facebook communities who are very strong and very knowledgeable um uh if i wanted to find a diabetic i had to go to diabetes camp and that was just awkward at that age you know so like it was more of a babysitting club than anything right yeah. so now we have all this support and uh it, man if i would be in 100 percent perfect health if i got diabetes today with cgm's Fast acting insulin, uh, the support and the doctor's knowledge now. Uh, yeah, it's a different world. Everything that you need exists now, right? Not to say that it's not a battle; it still is. Oh, like no. it's a tremendous battle oh, for anyone. Oh yeah, and and everything that exists now can get better and and should. Um, but right. I mean, compare. I, I'm saying specifically compared to 30 years ago. Oh my gosh! I yeah, mean, light years ahead. Yeah, it's just it's a different world, really. And it's not something that got gradually better, like bicycles, you know, they, they, okay. So they added a spring here. They added a softer seat. No diabetes jumps like magnificent advances, you know, yeah. not, not by kind of getting a little bit better here and there. So, I mean, every five years, 10 years, you know, it's, it's significant. I, I like hearing somebody who's been around it for a long time, having that perspective, because I think if you're more newly diagnosed or newer to it or not paying attention, you know, the advancements feel slower in the moment, but when you have the perspective of real time like you do you you know like you you know that it, one day it was insulin that was eh, and then it went to meters that were eh, and then you know suddenly the insulin got faster and the meters got better and then cgms and i mean the insulin jumped right. again you know uh it, it's come a long way um in in and 30 years is a short amount of time unless you're living through it and then it's your life right yeah 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 well uh, it's funny, just on an aside, I, I saw, I, I found this article from the Pew Research Center all the way back in 2007, and it said in 1998, 41% of adults were online. 57% of non-internet users said that they worry not at all about missing out on something. It's 
by not going online. Like there's 57% yeah. of the, of the population was like, I don't need that internet, it, you know? So, <laughs> and now my oh. family was definitely in on that fence. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So when did you, um, I mean, what led you to skydiving? So funny, uh, it's, it's very bizarre. I was, uh, so I had just moved to Philly in 2005 and I, I just didn't know anyone. It was a, I had a very, very, very difficult, uh, breakup prior to that. And I, I was working at McDonald's as a manager with my bachelor's degree. And I'm like, I really need something, but there was just nothing out there for me at the time. So I was trying my hardest to find a job and I finally found one in Philadelphia. So I just picked up and left. I'm like, you know, screw this. I'm, I'm out of here. This, this area sucks. I, I just need a change in my life. I need to distance my problems, you know, from my environment. Yeah. Uh, so I moved down to Philadelphia. I didn't know a soul. And I started, uh, I finally got myself a computer. I hadn't had my, my own computer. This is a uh, 2005 finally bought a computer. And, uh, I was like, I think I'm going to try this online dating thing. Everybody's talking about. So I was, uh, on this, uh, date with this girl who I met online and, uh, we we're talking at the bar and it, date was going okay. It was nothing, nothing spectacular. And she's like, we started talking about bucket list items and she brought up skydiving. And I was like, Oh, I always wanted to sky. She goes, really? I never meet anybody that ever wants to do it with me. I'm so excited. I'm like, yeah, she's like, okay, well, listen, it's getting late. So I'm going to go home and you and I are going to go jump tomorrow. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm at this point, I'm like six, eight beers deep at the bar already. And it's like midnight. And I'm like, sure. You could have told me I'd ride an elephant. I would have said yes and agreed to it. Dave, did you uh, agree to skydive to get laid? Is that what I'm hearing here? <laughs> no, it was, no, it was a genuine. Oh, okay. You were, you were I, into I, it. Okay. I, I right. absolutely wanted to do it. Okay. Um, and the, the social lubricant made it easier for me to agree to it. Gotcha. So I, uh, I was like, yeah, sure. We're not. Uh, she goes, okay, well, I'm going to go home now. I'm going to go buy my tickets online and then I'm going to text you and you're going to buy yours and we'll go in the morning. I was like, okay, fine. She left. I was like, well, I guess that that was a flop date. I'm like, whatever. So I ended up going home literally like 20 minutes later, I get a text on my phone from this chick and she's like, I'm like, she bought her tickets. I'm like, I, I guess I have to now too. <laughs> so it was one of those things. I was like, uh, all right. So I, I bought them and, uh, showed up the next morning. Uh, it was about a half hour from Philadelphia. Big, big shout out to my home drop zone, uh, Skydive Cross Keys in Williamstown, New Jersey. Uh, amazing, amazing facility and company just run by the best people um, for all the right reasons. Wonderful environment. Um, safety first there and uh, just a really great experience overall for anybody who's thinking about it. Uh, so I show up and she brought a couple of her friends and we're all talking about it and they're like, Oh, I think I'm going to get the videographer and have a video of my skydive. And I was like, I'm watching these people jump. And I'm like, that looks really, really fun. And I am a adrenaline junkie all the way. I did motocross through high school and things like that and rock climbing. Uh, so I don't shy away from that stuff. And uh, I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to get one because I know as soon as I'm done jumping, I'm going to have to go again. So it won't be one of those things that's one and done for me. Right. So we got geared up and read the spiel, um, got, got our safety checks, uh, got in the airplane. And if you haven't been skydiving ever, have you gone Scott? No, I, um, I, uh, I have not. <laughs> I, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk you through it a little bit okay. so you can come on my journey. 
picture the very smallest airplane you could ever get into. It's half falling apart. Then you shove 20 people inside and everybody's sitting on your lap. And everybody is very hungover from the night before and very loud. And the plane's shaking, takes off, and you start going up to altitude and everybody's horsing around on the plane. Then the pilot finally says, okay, we're good. The door opens up and you're about 14,000 feet up in the air. And it's a very large door and nobody's seatbelted in. It's, it's really crazy. And you look out and you're like, wow. And then somebody climbs out of the airplane, jumps onto the wing, and then skydives off from the wing. The whole plane shakes, rocks back and forth from the weight distribution loss. And the guy looks at me, he goes, all right, you ready? He clicks me in and I'm like, all right. And then we go out of the airplane and uh, it, it was just the rest is history for me. It was absolutely the most euphoric thing ever in the history of the world. Um, there's a line in the movie Point Break that uh, they talk about, you know, some people have to shoot drugs for it or sniff it, coke for this kind of feeling. We, we get it every time we jump out of the plane. And it, man, it's true. It's it's so euphoric and perfect. Um, a, a lot of the skydiving drive is for the views. The wonderful, you're above the clouds, man. You're flying. You're literally flying through the clouds, and it's it's absolutely wonderful to be by yourself and not trapped in an airplane or have a device hooked to you. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it it it's. I liken it to. You know, a lot of these monks, Tibetan monks, they, they do meditation for many, many years, decades sometimes to achieve that inner peace for just a moment and where they don't think about anything except their mind is just blank. And that is exactly what happens when you step out the door of skydiving. You, uh, you can't think about the bills you have to pay. You're not thinking about what you're going to do later tonight. Your mind is strictly focused with laser sharp accuracy in every moment passing before your eyes. It is the best feeling in the world not to worry about anything else and yeah. keep your mind focused because nowadays, you know, we're sort of torn between work, our phones, our kids, or you know, jobs, stuff like that. Your mind's all over the place. When's the last time you were able to focus on one thing without getting distracted about literally anything else in the world for one minute? Right. Well, that's amazing. It's very calming and peaceful. Yeah. How long does it last? So um the skydive the free falls about a minute, and then you open your parachute and you have maybe depending on how big your parachute is, how small it is, your descent rate changes. So you could, it could be anywhere from a five minute dive on your parachute to, you know, 10, 15 minute parachute ride. Wow. No kidding. How, how, wow, that's insane. It really is. You could be up there that long. Yeah, it's great, man. Some people do, uh, as soon as they get out of the plane, they, they don't do free fall. They just open their parachute and they do what they call a cross country jump, which is just to open your parachute immediately. And then you could, man, you have 20 minutes, half hour up there if you want. Wow. It's really nice. Have you ever ended up in a tree? Yes, I have. So I was uh, going through, progressing through skydiving school because as soon as I landed that day, I'm like, yep, I'm doing it. Like, this is, uh, I'm coming back as soon as I can. So uh, I signed up for the ground school and they teach all the, you know, the science part about it and everything ground speed, winds, you know, stuff like that. And then, uh, the actual skydiving part comes a little bit later and you have to focus on landing patterns and things like that. And they had clipped a, um, a, a walkie talkie on me and another student. And they're like, they're, they're like, okay, when you open your parachute, we're going to have eyes on you. 
and you'll hear from us checks. Like I can't talk to them, but they can talk to me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we'll walk you through landing pattern. I'm like, okay, fine. So I did that. Everything was great. And, uh, I, I, I was just, again, having way too much fun up there. Like David, you're too low for a landing pattern. We're just start doing S turns and, uh, eat up altitude and land right where you are. I'm like, I had no idea what they meant by S turns. I was not briefed on that at all. Uh, so <laughs> They meant, you know, make a left turn, then make a right turn, make a left turn, make a right turn. So, so you don't travel too far forward right. because I was running out of landing area. So I was making very, very large calligraphy S turns instead of nice and short, <laughs> tiny ones. And, uh, I, I, they're like, I, I was coming right for a, a patch of pine trees. It was pretty thick. So I immediately fell back on my training and you got to protect your vital organs. So I put my arms in front of me and made fists in front of my hands and crashed right through the trees. Um, I was fine. The branches slowed me down. No, no injury, except my pride. They had to come and fish me out of a tree and everybody took pictures and laughed at me. And then <laughs> I had to buy beer for everybody at the drop zone because it was my first time doing anything. So anything in this skydiving sport is a first, it's a beer penalty. Gotcha. And the thinking behind that is you have to buy beer for the after party so that you debrief Everybody talks about what you did and they share their stories with it. Right. And everybody learns that way from it, you know, and it's a nice relaxed atmosphere. Well, um, and it was, it was productive and, uh, I learned a lot about it. And, uh, so the next time I went up, I knew not to mess around. So I, I jumped out of the plane and I opened my parachute and I got my confirmation check and I didn't eat up my altitude and get close to the ground before my landing pattern started. So I started following the procedures on the walkie talkie. And they're like, no, David, you're doing the wrong one. We're talking to this student. And I didn't know they had two students on the same line frequency. So I was following all the directions for another student. And I ended up landing off of the drop zone. And the last words they said to me were, well, we can't see anymore. So good luck. You're on your own. <laughs> Listen. I was like, oh, man. So I ended up landing in this development uh, on this guy's front yard. And it was like right around when school let out. So all the kids came like pouring out of the house, cheering for me and clapping and everything. I gave them a big thumbs up. I was like. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was sweating my, you know, what's off. And, uh, they, uh, they, they thought it was all planned and everything worked out. And, uh, how, I got back to the drop zone and I was like, Ooh, <laughs> I won't do that again. How many times? But those are my only two real close calls. Yeah. How many times have you jumped? Do you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I have about three or four hours of free fall time. And so adding up every one minute jump adds up to the three or four hours. So I think I have close to 300 jumps wow does your wife do it with you she did it once just to try it out but her excuse was uh she she did it for the scenery so if we go somewhere else she might jump again to see the different scenery but we were in hawaii for our honeymoon and she didn't want to jump so i think she's kind of done with it yeah no kidding and do you have kids i do i have a 18 month year old boy now and a four-year-old girl oh congratulations that's really cool. Thank you. Hey, did you say that um, you did say that her father has diabetes, but was it type one or type two? It's type one. No kidding. Uh, will you? Yeah, do, right. Imagine. Will you do? Um, well, listen, I, before I ask my question, I interviewed somebody yesterday who met a kid in school. They were childhood sweethearts. Um, she had diabetes growing up. They got married. And for years, then the guy gets diabetes, too. And then they one of their kids does. So. Now oh, I'm boy. just like, I, I believe anything at this point. Um, but do you um, consider or have you done trial net for your kids? Are you interested to know if they have the antibodies? 
I have not. Uh, it'll. I don't want to focus on that. Uh, if it happens, it happens. I'm a fairly religious guy, so whatever happens, happens. I'll take it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'm just interested. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't want to know when I'm going to die. You know, it's kind of the same thinking. Yeah. I, well, it's it's yeah. Uh, right church, wrong pew. Though I mean, like you're not going. Kids aren't going. Right. Yeah. But I, although yeah. you have a, it's interesting. You've lived more years struggling with diabetes than you've lived with it kind of the way you right. are now. So when you think of diabetes, it feels like a struggle to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it ever won't feel like that? No, no. I mean, maybe if I was a hundred percent, but with these kidney disease issues, um, yeah, it's, it's always going to be a struggle. Right. What if I told you, and this is not me selling to you, but what if I told you that there are algorithms now that if you were a pump, your A1C could easily stay right. in the fives or low sixes with much less effort? Right. Yeah. Is it not not attractive? No. Okay. For the device, just just the idea yeah. of wearing the device, or, or what else do you think you wouldn't like about pumping? No, I think it's the, the idea of the device. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I, I follow a lot of pump people pretty closely and mm-hmm. uh, i skydive with uh some people that wear pumps and they're always talking about the line tangles the, the bubbles and lines the uh the, the site that pulls out yanks out of their sleeping or catch on a doorknob stuff like that it's just uh it's not my lifestyle yeah no listen i i um my daughter wears a tubeless pump so i don't think we'd be up for tubing either um right but yeah no i i'm listen again i don't have any opinion about what you do i'm just interested in your thoughts around it right so, uh, so i think i when when it the technology gets better, I might be up for it. But okay. uh, as of now, I'm going to still watch on the sidelines. That's excellent. Um, what was I going to just ask you? Oh, what are your? You know what? Everyone listening is like, well, you should probably ask him, Scott, how he jumps with diabetes. That seems like an obvious <laughs> question because of what we're talking about, and it it is what I was thinking. For so for everyone who thought, how does he not know what the next question is? That is my next question. How do you um, like to have your blood sugar before a jump and how do you manage the whole thing? So managing uh, diabetes while skydiving is interesting because uh, everything is affecting it. Uh, The adrenaline makes my insulin more effective. So I easily, if I take four units of fast acting for a soda, I easily only need two when I'm skydiving. Um, I have to be aware of also potential lows on jumps because last thing I want to do is be in the air with the parachute on my back while going through a low blood sugar. I could barely do it on the ground, you know? Uh, So for that reason, like I keep tablets in my locker at this, my skydiving drop zone and in the hangar and also in my pockets. Anytime I jump uh, in case I again, land off and have to walk back to the drop zone. Yeah. Do you have, um, Um, do you have a a blood sugar you like to be at before you go? Cause it's interesting. I do. Yeah. I like to fly a little sweet around one sixty. Okay. Yeah. I, I was going to say, it's interesting. Adrenaline spikes some people and it makes some people go lower. It, I've, yeah. heard, I've heard people talk about it both ways. Bizarre. Um, so if you, if you jumped at 160, by the time you get to the ground, you're much lower, you think? Uh, not much not lower. Much. Usually 10 points lower here and there. I, I usually have to sometimes, I mean, it all, again, depends on the day and my breakfast habits and stuff like that which i normally skip um i usually skip breakfast if i'm skydiving so i don't have to worry about carbs counting and everything and get it messed up so i go on fasting sugars but um 
because I feel it's easier to manage that way. But uh, I blood test before and after every jump. And sometimes it varies. I'll go up at 160 and I'll land. It'll be like 89. Wow. That's something. And uh, sometimes I'll have to take a couple tablets before I go up. Mm-hmm. Hey, is it expensive to skydive? Super expensive, kind of. So at first, it's super expensive. And then as you progress through the sport, it actually gets a, a lot cheaper, I feel. But I mean, a, a tandem skydive is roughly $200. Wow. I think that might include a video. Okay. And then. So you do three tandem skydives and then you start skydiving on your own, but you have to rent gear. So it's like skiing. You have to rent the gear and pay for the lift ticket up. Right. Mm-hmm. So the gears, uh, parachutes brand new can cost like 10 grand, but I got my first parachute for, I think $1,200. And that was the full deal. The parachutes are tons of little pieces and they nickel and dime you for everything. Uh, your, your canopy that you fly above you is costs a separate price than the strings it's attached to. And then you got to buy the book bag to store everything in. And then you have to buy your backup parachute. And then you have to buy an automatic activation device, which is a safety device that deploys your parachute in case you're, you can't do it yourself. And you have to have everything checked every six months, which is another fee, but Hmm. uh, all in all, after you get all that squared away, it's uh, the lift ticket is $26. So the skydive is roughly 26 bucks for me every time. Gotcha. Cause you have everything else at this point. Right. Yeah. You know, you said something earlier, I skipped by it, but I, I want to come back to it. You said you jump, you like to jump a little sweeter for, I've interviewed like 700 people. No one said that before. Oh, really? Yeah. And it seems so obvious when you said it as like a euphemism for having your blood sugar higher for something. And I was, and I, right. all I could think was like, how has no one ever said that before? So <laughs> that's funny, fun terminology. Uh, so you jump with other people who have type one. I do. Yeah. Um, uh, randomly I was, uh, I was at my locker and this, uh, other guy. So my, my skydiving drop zone is Dave, a very large, Dave, let me stop you. refer to in the industry as a tandem factory. Dave, let me stop you. A skydiving school from um, your headphones? set up. So very tandem friendly. Some skydive drop zones are, literally an airplane hangar in a field and that's it and it's just for what they call fun jumpers people who already have their license and go out on the weekends and bang out a couple jumps um but this one is set up for students and uh, tandem people who just want to try it once so it's very large and people come from all over the country to it so i was at my locker one day and i noticed the guy next to me fumbling with his insulin pump i go is that an insulin pump he goes yeah, I'm diabetic, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, me too. He's like, no way. So it was really funny that the entire world, you know, two diabetic skydivers wind up next to each other. Dave, did your headphones come um, disconnected? Can you hear me? Scott, you there, buddy? Yeah, your headphones. Did they come um, unpaired? Oh, Scott, you there? Hey, Scott. Hey. How are you? Hey, there we go. Good, good. Sorry. No, you started talking about, I asked if you jump with other type ones and your voice changed. And I thought, oh, 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 his headphones disconnected because you were suddenly coming through a different microphone. I didn't know from where. Um, Then I started realizing you were in your car. I didn't know if it connected to your car or or what happened. But yeah, I I think uh, it went on safe driving mode. I think it just uh, technology got the better of us. (laughs) It was just, and then I'm like, he can't hear me. So I started texting through the uh, app and I was like, I don't even know if he's seeing these or not. So no, um, anyway, uh, we worked that out very nicely. So, okay, great. So actually your, so, yeah. your story came right through, but go over it again just for me. 
so uh yeah i uh i uh, saw a guy messing with his pump and i was like is that an insulin pump he goes yeah i'm diabetic and he gave me the whole spiel and i was like me too and it was very funny in, in the entire world you know that two diabetic skydivers have a locker next to each other yeah no kidding you know i have a similar feeling uh at the grocery store i don't know if anyone's ever noticed this or not but you park at the grocery store and then you go and do your thing. When you come back out, the person who's also coming back out is always parked next to you. I guess it's just like an average time in the store. Oh, that's funny. Thing. Do you, but do you ever notice that or no? I, I don't. I'm going to have to pay attention now. I feel like there's like some synchronicity going on that we're generally unaware of. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just telling you, watch out for it. You pull in somewhere, somebody <laughs> else pulls in, you know, there's no one else there. You get out. And the next thing you know, you come back out and that person's there. I'm just saying either I'm in the matrix and there's a glitch or I notice this a lot. One or the other. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that is crazy that uh, it's that you just be. I mean, there's not like there's that many people there, right? Um, no, no, for sure. Yeah. It's really wild. You guys are. Are you do you know each other still? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We're friends. Uh, we, we jump all the time together. Um, he lives in Maryland, I think. Mm-hmm. So he comes up to jump and uh, we always text each other, try to meet up. And we joke we're doing a world record skydives together. Two diabetic, largest diabetic skydive in history. Wow, <laughs> largest. <laughs> Just get, three more guys. You set a world record uh, for. Yeah, I know. Uh, right? Yeah. Well, I, I so I feel compelled to ask you. I mean, I, I, obviously your answer is going to be no, but if you can give me kind of bigger picture and how you've thought through it in the past, do you ever think like I'm going to jump out of this plane one day and I'm just going to push into the ground? Uh, that, for sure, that is always uh, something in the back of your mind. But with skydiving, it, it's a uh, it's a very, very uh, unrealistic picture to what the media portrays and what um, you know the uh, television shows show and stuff like that. There's a lot of science and safety behind every single jump, and uh, it's a whole thing. So with my parachute, I could probably shove it in my book bag and ten minutes pack it and jump on get on the plane and go jump. But my reserve parachute takes two people, three hours to pack. They have to check every line set and go over every stitch and record everything, uh, every fold and uh, things like that. And then we also have uh, what they call AADs, automatic activation devices. So if you're going faster than a certain speed at a certain uh, altitude, it will automatically deploy your, your backup parachute. Mm-hmm. Well, for, and that is, it's happened a couple times to me, but um, I deployed it myself, not that I, I wasn't able to for one reason or another, because malfunctions in skydives are, are fairly common, but it's nothing that you can't work through. It's very rare that um, you, you actually face this real emergency up there. And a lot of it is just through horsing around or not being aware of your surroundings, things like that. Do you remember the first time you pulled your main chute and it didn't work? Oh yeah, totally. So uh, it's uh, your your main parachute is basically on a string, and it comes out the bottom of your book bag with a hacky sack tied to it. And that's your handle. So you pull on the hacky, and you literally pull out your parachute out of your book bag, and it's got a mini tiny parachute on the end of it that catches the wind, and pulls the rest of the, the main parachute out. Okay. Once your main parachute's open, the mini parachute collapses automatically, and then you can steer your parachute. Uh, through whether you still have forward movement in the air, um, because you can dance up there if you want, you could put your body in any kind of positions and move around like a bird and you, you are in complete control of 
your direction and where you're going. And if you want to be upside down or face down or up, whatever. So if you still have forward movement during your deployment, you could tangle up your parachute lines, you know, and that could lead to a very standard malfunction called the line twists. And some people don't even consider that a malfunction because it's so common. So it's essentially, if you were to, have you ever sat on a swing at a playground and spun yourself around a couple of times? I have. That's, that's what it looks like when you look up, your lines are all crossed together and tiny. So to get out of that, you, you just have to essentially move your body, twist it around and do a bicycle kick and your lines come apart and you fly your parachute. Hmm. Uh, but sometimes based on the size of your parachute, you, you lose altitude. So if I have a whole lot of fabric above my head and I'm flying a very large parachute, it's less of a problem than if I'm flying a little tiny napkin of a parachute going very, very fast. So I can lose a lot more altitude based on a bigger parachute. So then that's where the issues come in. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you can drive a Winnebago, you know, you'll, you'll be pretty much accident free. But if you have that same kid jump in a Ferrari, he's probably going to cause an accident real soon, you know, like, so it's this equipment that you use and, uh, that, so my, malfunction happened because i still had forward movement in my skydive when i should have just been hanging out not doing anything and just deployed my parachute okay i had some line twists and i was like oh i have line twists again okay let me try and work out and then i I tried working them out but then i started uh getting more aggressive they started getting more aggressive to the point where i was like a pendulum instead of being straight up and down i was sideways and i could see the earth in the ground the sky in the ground spinning above and below me. And I was like, I'm sideways right now. This is not good. And I checked my altimeter and usually open your parachute around 5,000 feet, a little bit below the clouds. And then you have until 2000 feet or 2,500 to figure stuff out. I was getting close to that 2,500. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to try out this extra parachute. I always have. So I said my prayer and I yanked on my uh, reserve and it opened up and it was perfect. It was instant i had a perfect parachute above my head instantly before my other one was even departed from my parachute setup hmm. it felt very relieving and uh when i got to the ground they're like hey congratulations on your first reserve ride uh we need a case of beer from you and how was it and i'm like i didn't really fly it like everybody's like talking to me like i'm test driving a car i'm like i very delicately made turns and inputs into the parachute to get me to the ground like i didn't want to mess with it because it was my only one left you know? i had but, do you have you ever known anyone who's who's died doing it yeah we do lose uh, a couple people in the sport um it's it's not often but i've had about three close friends pass away um one most recently uh, she was on a, a a very large group skydive and when you're in a very large formation uh you got to hang on as long as you can to make the formation so your open altitude is much lower they open a lot lower for but they're again these people are all professionals they're not just some Joe Schmo that yeah. decided to take up parachuting, you know? So, uh, the, she opened up low. She had line twists. She was flying a very fancy small parachute. Uh, the, they got more aggressive and, uh, she couldn't get out of it. I, I'm not sure if she had her activation device on because again, sometimes sports parachutes, professionals, you're, you're flying your parachute at the speed that your activation device would open up, you know, right, right. because they're, they're, they're so advanced. So, Sometimes they turn them off and she wasn't able to recover from the spin. Let me, but she was, I'm sorry. She was older. She was, I think 65. 
I, w- I was going to ask you about the adrenaline, um, two parts of it, actually. So the one part is, does it ever like diminish or get old or do you, does it hit you? No, it's, way? it's wonderful. I mean, you, you, you learn the management. It's, it's like you can be drunk, you know, a hundred times, but your first drunk is much different than your last drunk. Right. So you learn to manage the feeling and enjoy it more rather than just experience it. Okay. And then this is a little morbid. And if I'm off base, just tell me so, but no, no, go ahead. does it in what's the word I want? Does it increase the intensity knowing somebody who's past doing it? Does it actually, no, not, you know what I mean? not at all. I mean, if, if anything, you know, it just makes you step back and, and, you know, instead of just uh, throwing your parachute rig on and jumping on the plane, you, you, you walk through your safety checks one more time in farther in depth, you know, right. cause you're like, I just want to make sure it's not going to be my fault you know, if I mess up or screw up, you know, gotcha. or get hurt. Well, uh, can you insure yourself against that? Against well, well, like I would imagine if you're like a frequent skydiver, like getting like life insurance might not be easy. Oh yeah. Right now. So the, uh, we, we belong to an association, um, through our skydiving sport that everybody has to join up and sign in for it. And they provide hospital billing stuff like they, they assist with that stuff. Uh, if I fly my parachute into a parked car in a parking lot, they will pay for it. Um, stuff like that. So they do help, but yeah, uh, I'm not looking for life insurance from anyone anytime soon. <laughs> what so if- some people have floated the idea. Some entrepreneurs are trying to do skydiving insurance, life insurance stuff companies, right. but I'm not one for life insurance anyway to begin with. So yeah. no, it doesn't no. really affect me. My, um, my consideration there was just, you know, I was, I was thinking about the kids and I was one, I'm thinking about my kids actually. I was like, I wonder like, right. if I, if I left to do this, if my wife wouldn't be like, Hey, you're not doing that. Um, so, <laughs> y- you know, uh, but it's just, you know, it's a fascinating thing. It's very different to me. The idea of doing it is, I mean, it's, it's outside of what I would consider doing and right. You know, so it's just interesting to hear about, honestly. It is. I mean, it, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy the sport so much. It's, it's uh, not everybody does it. And the people that do do it, uh, you connect with them immediately, uh, especially connecting with people who have diabetes and do it like it makes it even more intense. So there I belong to a very small Facebook community group of skydivers that have diabetes. And there's 26 of us so far in the known world. <laughs> and uh, it's cool. it's a really close knit community. It's really cool. What's the name of the Facebook group? Uh skydivers with diabetes maybe is it diabetic skydivers hold on a second i'm looking see if i can find it i'm trying Doesn't, it doesn't like what I'm doing. Here. Type one diabetic skydivers. There you go. Twenty six people. Yep. <laughs> Maybe you'll get more. Um, yeah. From this, there's a there's one guy posted a picture of him doing a blood test under his parachute. It was really cool. While he's coming down. Yep. That's excellent. He, he taped his meter to his hand and checked his blood sugar. It was cool. Yeah, Dave, listen, when I was young, I used to ride motorcycles. I've been 160 miles an hour on a motorcycle, so I'm not judging you. I'm just, there's something about off the ground that 
is, is it's my <laughs> it's my bridge too far. Like I also, if you told me you wanted to go on a small plane, like there have been people on here. Like I don't know if you know um um Oren Lieberman. He's a CNN um reporter. He also has Type One. He was on here and he was like uh he's like uh we it turns out we live pretty close to each other and he's like you know I'll I'll take you up sometime and I was like yeah no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess all right, and I. Oh, that's funny. And dude, I grew up in the Northeast, outside of Philadelphia, so right, yeah. And I'm still pretty close to you now. And uh, if you were like, oh, I'll tell you, it's okay. (laughs) I don't know. People either know right away that it's something they always wanted to do, or they have zero interest in it. Yeah, it's really funny. No, it's it's uh, it makes a lot of sense to me actually. Um, anyway, I I would see a therapist if I was you. Skydiving is my therapy. It's great. Yeah. No, I, I I hear that. I, you know what I wanted to ask you that I never did, and I was just wondering: did the did the weed smoking continue through life, or did you let go of it at some point? No, I let go of it. Uh, it just wasn't fit my lifestyle anymore. Uh, also, I moved to Philadelphia. I lost a lot of contacts, and it was just I I had my life. Fo- it was just a immediate band aid that I needed. Yeah, a crutch to get me through. But you know, again, you're not on crutches your whole life, right? So. It was, I used it for its purpose. And I mean, hey, if it's at a party, yeah, I'll smoke. Sure. But I mean, very, I, I can't even tell you last time I smoked. Right. I should name this episode Dave Can't Find Weed in Philly because that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to imagine it's pretty available. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> is there anything that we didn't talk about that, uh, that I should have asked you about? So, uh, some fun little facts. Uh, the FAA recently eluded that having a low blood sugar amplifies hypoxia and for everyone out there hypoxia is you know your brain doesn't get enough oxygen and you start acting all funny and it's the closest thing that a non-diabetic can feel to being low blood sugar uh if you google videos of military going through hypoxia training mm-hmm. it's like watching somebody with a blood sugar of 50 it's ridiculous they can't put the 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 block in the right hole and they're they're giggling they, they they don't know what to do they can't itch their face they can't touch their nose right hmm. and you know as as skydivers that's something that we have to be very aware of uh, hypoxia happens roughly above fourteen thousand feet right and we skydive at two and a half miles above the earth which is about thirteen five so we kind of flirt with it um, so if my blood sugar is anything but perfect uh, it's just added to the danger which I avoid like the plague. But um, two and a half. It's miles really interesting. Is, yeah. Where's the um, where's where's low orbit? Like, wh- when do you leave? You know, when do you leave the planet? The atmosphere. Yeah. Well, we we fly planes at jumbo jets at like thirty thousand feet, right? Okay. So it's got to be higher than that. Huh. That's interesting. Would you ever do? Um. I mean, this is kind of fanciful, but you know, would you would you do space travel if it was available to you? Yeah, I totally would. I think it'd be cool. Okay. So, yeah, Felix Baumgartner uh, is a skydiver, and he jumped from the uh, outermost atmosphere of the Earth. It was borderline space, and uh, that that really opened up. It was very significant because uh, it proved that skydiving could be integrated in spaceflight, and that astronauts, if something were to go absolutely wrong up there, they could technically skydive back to Earth as long as they got within the orbit of the Earth. Hmm. I hope we never have to test that, but it's incredibly interesting. I agree, yeah. <laughs> would you um, would you want to go higher, like where you would need oxygen assistance? So, no, because I, 
I've heard a lot of nightmare stories about that. People passing out in the airplane. I mean, they give you a can of oxygen for the halo jumps, high altitude, low opening, mm-hmm. but uh, it's, it's not something I want to, I don't need to play with fire and then add more fire to it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> play with fire and add more fire to it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. It's uh, it was really wonderful talking to you. I enjoyed hearing your story very much. Yeah. Uh, I even did some extra added stuff I'll throw in here. Uh, so even though I'm not on a pump, my pump skydiver friends were telling me that uh, it's standard practice to take pumps off for skydives uh, mm-hmm. because some doctors warn that the lower atmospheric pressure may increase delivery of insulin mm-hmm. so they can get like a double dose of it. And T-Slim actually has an altitude bladder warning and is only approved to an altitude of 10,000 feet. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, we have an episode about how to fly with a pump and it's around all that stuff. Um, no kidding. Yeah, pressurizes the line and pushes like you, you know you have right. tube pump, and it, it pushes the insulin through. Uh, people get uh, experience lows and then highs when they're flying for reasons that are that are to do with the altitude. So yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. At all. I'm 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 amazed you took notes. You don't seem like a note taker to me, Dave. But this was not. <laughs> I'm secret note taker. I appreciate you being uh, prepared. Yeah, man. I really do. Did you have a good time? I did. I had a great time. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Excellent. No, it's, it's my pleasure. I, I, it was really nice of you to, to reach out. And uh, um, if you're looking for another Facebook group with uh, people with diabetes in it, I have one with 20,000. So uh, I'm, I'm on it. You're in there. Yes, sir. I like you. You're in the Facebook group. Don't particularly listen to the podcast. Found the show through a friend. Will you say your friend's first name? Ashley. Ashley. Well, Ashley, thank you for Shout out Ashley. Woo woo. Yeah, thank you for Ashley Tracy. All right. <laughs> You're just gonna blow her up completely. <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, I really appreciate um you doing this very much. Uh, uh happy new year. It's uh it's just just barely into January. So um yeah, how many times sure. do you think you'll jump this year, calendar year? How many? Yeah, just rough guess. Uh about fifty times. That's a low number. Is it a warm weather activity? Uh, so I actually have a skydiving event coming up on the 12th of February called Freeze Fest. And it's a little party that drops on puts together. We go out. It's mainly to keep our licenses uh, current because if you don't jump into a certain amount of time, you have to retake your license and everything. Okay. So they offer that. And it's a huge uh, dodgeball tournament for everyone. And uh, we get together and have a good time playing dodgeball and skydiving. So February 12th, I will be have my knees in the breeze wow, again. And then uh, I'll probably saddle it up until the warmer climate, like May. You dress differently in the cold weather? You betcha. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's got to be so cold up there, right? So cold. So it's two degrees colder every 1,000 feet you go up. Oh. And add a wind chill of 120 mile an hour. It's it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not good with the cold on the ground, actually. <laughs> oh, being honest, if You know, it's a little snowy today, and I was... I was already irritated. <laughs> just <laughs> yep. I woke up. I was like, what is this? When is spring? <laughs> it's my first thought. January. I'm wondering when spring's coming. Um, oh, boy. You got a long winter. How do you yeah, then? Yeah, I'm not going to enjoy it at all. Anyway. All right. Um, can you hold on one second for me? Yeah, sure. Thanks. A huge thanks to David for coming on the show and sharing his story with us. And a big thanks to Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitoring System. See if you're eligible for a free 10-day trial at Dexcom.com 
forward slash juicebox. And of course, Omnipod 5 and Omnipod Dash are available at Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. You may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Go find out. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon. You know what? I hope you're having a great summer. I haven't said that. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. If you're listening in a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please follow or subscribe to the show in that app. If you're listening online, please consider listening in an app. And if you love the show and you just can't hold it inside any longer, go tell a friend, a neighbor, a doctor, a nurse, somebody else who you think might appreciate it. And while you're at it, don't forget, right there in the podcast app you're listening in right now, you could probably leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. I already thanked you for listening, so I should probably just stop the recording. Hey, you know what? I'll, okay. Um,